If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Woman Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, Lily Days, and welcome back to another episode of Women Physicians Lead. I am your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, board-certified family physician, best-selling author, speaker, and executive leadership coach. And I help physicians transition into leadership roles so that they can become the respected voices in healthcare. So I am excited today to continue our series on women physicians on the front lines. And as my guest today, I have the amazing Dr. Noha Pollock. So I'm going to just read to you her bio, a little bit about what she's doing, and then we'll get into a great discussion that I think all of you will benefit from. So Dr. Noha Pollock She graduated from Rutgers University in Biological Sciences, where she received her bachelor's degree. She received her medical degree from UMDNJ, now Rutgers Medical School, in Newark, New Jersey. And she completed her training in pediatrics at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in in the Bronx, New York. She has been practicing pediatrics in Union City and Bayonne, New Jersey, since 1996, most of those years at her private practice called Progressive Pediatrics. She was the first doctor in her extended family, and now she is proud to say that she has five cousins in the medical profession. She has two children, both of whom attended public school in New Jersey and are now adults getting their undergraduate and graduate degrees. Dr. Pollock loves pediatrics because she feels that she can make a difference in a young person's life that will last a lifetime. She's passionate about advocating for healthy living in preteens and teens and helping them love their body. Working on their mindset as well as their habits is a way of making a difference in the world. She speaks to all professionals who encounter this age group as well as parents to help them use the right language to communicate about health rather than weight. So I want to just welcome Dr. Pollock to the podcast, and I can't wait to hear more about your story and about your journey. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Herbert. It's such a pleasure. Absolutely. So I wanted to um, start by asking, like I asked all of my guests, I want to hear a little bit just about your story, about your backstory. So when you think about your career, your 
journey in pediatrics, where you are right now in terms of your focus on preteens and teens, who or what may have been instrumental in that decision? Well, I I chose medicine, I think, as a child, and I um, was lucky enough to get into med school. I was super excited. And um, so finished my residency and then got um, a really good job, in my opinion, it start. I help you know. It helped me to pay for my loans, and then my employer went bankrupt and gave me one month notice, um, which was not very good. So with all my loans, I had to make a decision, and I started a private practice. Um, fingers crossed, and that was twenty twenty two years ago. Um, and now I am a private practitioner, and I love running my practice, and I love seeing patients. I love both, and I would say equally. Um, who was instrumental in that, to be perfectly honest. I was the first in the family to be a physician, but I all of my family are caretakers, so I would have to give a lot of credit to my parents who taught me how to be a good caretaker. That's wonderful. And you know, Dr. Pollock, and just listening to your story and reading your bio, we share very similar backgrounds, very similar stories. Um, so the first is uh, being the first in the family, right, as a doctor. And um, the second similarity is practicing in New Jersey. So I also had a private practice in New Jersey as well as a family doc and um, sort of just, you know, started that practice on a wing and a prayer with a lot of, um, you know, confidence, I guess, at that time about about starting a practice and knowing how difficult that is. Um, And then just having that sort of um, passion, right, about helping and being able to be a voice in your community and then deciding like who and what really needed to have that focus in your practice, where your passion, you know, lies, who are the the people that really would benefit from um, what you have to offer. So how did you come to that decision about one, owning your own practice, which, you know, nowadays seems to not be the norm and then the two deciding that it would be this preteen teen group that you would really focus on. So um, having my own practice came from a place where um, I had temporarily taken a job after my first employer went bankrupt at a, at a different practice. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to you know assimilate into this practice. And there was such a negative vibe in that practice where the physician just was yelling at the patients, yelling at the staff. And I said, no, I'm going to have a different kind of practice where nobody's yelling. Right. <laughs> We're just going to work together as a team. And it was just me and one uh, 18-year-old receptionist at the time. And luckily, we have grown it since then. So I think my drive was wanting to have a more collegiate um, environment with my staff. I wanted to treat them as equals, number one, no matter their position in the in the office. And secondly, I just wanted my patients to want to come see me, not to be afraid that I'm going to yell at them if they gain too much weight or if they didn't take their medication because we're all human. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in, in the day in the life of a pediatrician and a pediatrician that really focuses on preteens and teens in terms of their body image, what does that look like? Who do you serve, which I think you pretty much, you know, told us, but but what type of patients do you encounter, you know, in your practice and what challenges do you face in that role? 
So the main reason that I decided to focus to focus on this age group because it's the age group that comes into the practice and starts to cry as long as soon as they see the scale. So, um, you know, patient after patient would come in, they would get weighed because of, you know, we have to calculate doses. So yeah, we need their weight. Um, and we look at growth charts and BMI, you know, patterns, and they immediately start to cry. And then the parent starts to, you know, say, well, I told you not to eat this. I told you you should move more. I told you this. And then, you know, I would go into an exam room where everything seemed negative again. Um, so I started to talk to the parents um, as well as the teenagers about a health journey instead of a weight loss journey. Where do you want to go? Where do you want your journey to lead you? And if they gave me a number, if they said, I want to weigh 130 pounds in two months, I'd be like, well, that's not, you know, really a journey. A journey is where you're going to encounter ups and downs and let's talk about your journey and let's have us a, a set goal that is not necessarily a number let's make a plan some kids decide oh i want to be able to walk a mile others want to say, say to me i want to be able to join the track team um and others just say i want to be able to put on a dress that i like um so we start from whatever their goals are and i really um want to stress the importance of every word we say in front of a preteen or a teen because it really reverberates in their minds whether we're clinicians or parents don't you think dr herbert absolutely you know i think in, especially in this age that we're living where everything is just so um visual right where everything is just really uh, at the tips of your fingers in terms of just um seeing images and the words that kids are hearing the things that they're listening to the peer pressure, you know, that they have to to face, um, especially when that sort of pressure is just out there um, for everybody to see, right? You, you post a picture <laughs> on social media, or you um, you just, you know you say something, someone's recording it, um, so everything is just so uh, at the tips of the fingers of kids today, and sometimes it does have a serious impact on their mental health. So it is important, especially for parents to understand that and for all of us to begin to change our language and our vocabulary around what it means to be healthy. Absolutely. And a lot of parents will use, um, you know, shaming to, to, and they think that it's going to help their child be healthier. And the truth of the matter is it just increases their stress level, right? If we all think of ourselves as teenagers and we remember when someone would try to shame us or say, look, you, you ate too much of this or you ate too much of that, we would feel terrible about ourselves. And when we feel terrible about ourselves, that's more stress and it leads us to eat more. So that's really not the solution. I feel like as a society, we really need to start talking about health, about mobility, and about just eating a nutritionally dense diet instead of calling food good food or bad food, and don't talk about weight all the time. Yes, I, I agree. Absolutely. You know, I think that, like you said, we have to start thinking about um, paying more attention, putting more time, investing more time and resources into making sure that that particular age group, preteens and teenagers, really understand what it means to lead a healthy lifestyle. And, um, you know, that if we do that, if we can create healthy teenagers, they will then turn into 
healthy adults, right? And then those healthy adults will be able to not only just live longer, but be able to be more productive. And then when they have children of their own, it just creates this positive environment of what it means to be healthy and hopefully can lessen the strain um, a lot that we have on the healthcare system as well as it relates to health. Absolutely. And that's why, um, even though I like working with individual patients and families very much, I feel like I need to amplify my voice now. This message needs to get out to both clinicians and parents that let's talk about health instead of weight. Let's talk about nutritionally dense food instead of good food versus bad food. Let us talk about a weight not as something to consider as it's it's not a flaw nor a weakness, guys. There is a lot of really smart, intelligent people out there who have weight problems. I mean, look at Oprah, look at Lizzo. For Pete's sake, they're really smart, intelligent people. Just because they are struggling with their weight does not make them less than anything. And your children and teens and preteens should not feel like they're less because they're struggling with their weight. Right. Absolutely. So how do you then get people to begin to buy in to changing their vocabulary or their mindset around what it means to be healthy and not focus so much on on weight? Um, so h- how do you really get people to buy into that, parents and, and children? And um, what are some tips maybe that even you know, the doctors who are listening or the clinicians who are listening to this podcast can start to institute in their own practice around what it means to to be healthy and changing that vocabulary. So on an individual basis, I would say, please read the room. If you walk into a room and you can feel that the child is already crying and tearing, don't tell them how much weight they've gained in the last so many months, okay? Just talk about health. All right, so don't talk about numbers right off the bat. If they ask you, then you can tell them, of course, but still focus on health, focus on goals that are not numbers. Um, So with parents, I try to help them understand that their job as parents is not to make their children, you know, happy and healthy, but to kind of enable them to make themselves happy and healthy. So if we see ourselves as parent-wise, as enablers, that gives us a lot more uh, leeway in how we deal with things. We suddenly are not quite as stressed about it because it's not, it's not every parent's responsibility to make sure that their teenager is healthy. It's their job to make sure that they have a healthy mindset and that they have availability of healthy nutritional foods, but they cannot be the food police. And so I say that out loud. I say, you know what? This is your child's responsibility. Your child is now 14 or 16. They're able to think and make decisions for themselves. Your job is not to be the food police, but to bring into the household nutritionally dense foods and very, very little less nutritionally dense foods. And therefore, they will have that available to them all the time and they will not be struggling so much with kind of trying to resist eating a big bag of chips because that bag of chips, they have to go out to get it. It's not sitting in the house. So I talk to the parents about what their role is, which is bring healthy things into the household and do not be the food police because that really, really matters in a child or especially the preteens in their mindset. You know, they see junk around them and how can they control themselves? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. So I like those tips. So the first is to read the room, like you said, in terms of talking about health and just kind of understanding what's going on with their body language and, and sort of what some of the things that they may be feeling at the time and not so much concentrate on the numbers. Um, the second thing that you said was to, um, for parents to start enabling their kids to take care of themselves, right? To be responsible for their, for their own health as well and not to be the, the police of their, of their weight. And the third is to um, begin to bring healthy items into the house, which I think is so important because that sets sort of like a, um, a standard for, um, for what it means to be healthy, right? And it, it creates a, an, an environment where they start to learn different behaviors and learn what foods are, um, are healthy to eat as well. So thank you for sharing those. I like those, those, that, those three tips. Awesome. It's time for physicians to rise up, step out, stand out, and take back our place in healthcare, to be the respected voice and leader in our communities. My mission is to help physicians transition into leadership roles by equipping them with the personal and professional development skills that they need to be successful, and also to help them care for themselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. If you have experience practicing in your given specialty, if you have a gift for innovation and building teams, if you have the ability to bring about change in others, if you have solved problems in your practice setting or community, then there are organizations that need you to claim your rightful seat at the table and lead. If you're ready to be the leader in healthcare and change the status quo, then I invite you to book a complimentary strategy discovery session with me at schedulewithdrlisa.com. That's schedulewithdrlisa.com. Yeah, so when we when we talk about, you know, um, preteens and teens and, and we talk about their um, their health journey, as you so eloquently um, stated, a lot of times there are, you know, groups of, of children um, in terms of, of race or gender that may not have that support, that may not have those resources, right, to, um, to be able to have those discussions around health or to have those role models that, that help them to understand what it means to be healthy, or they don't even have access to healthy food items, right? To be able to start that that health journey. So as we look at those type of um, healthcare and um, you know of healthcare disparities among certain groups, how would you address that, or how would you think that you know um, us as doctors, as as women physicians especially, might be able to help to combat that? Yeah, you're you're right about that. There are many patients in my practice who don't have a choice of going to a fancy restaurant instead of McDonald's, right? Because that's where they socialize and that's what they can, um, you know, afford. Um, so I do speak specifically with kids and their parents about um, making good choices no matter where you are, 
and um, you know, sharing. It's always about sharing meals in my practice. If you and your best friend love to go to whatever Wendy's, let's say, and this is your this is where you want to socialize, etc. I, w- I ask them to consider sharing a meal with their friend instead of getting an entire meal for themselves. I ask them to try not to drink calories if possible, so to pick water instead of their you know other soft drinks that are offered. So I, I try to work within whatever you know lifestyle that they have currently instead of asking them, no, 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 don't go do this. Don't, don't ever eat pizza or don't order Chinese food because they're going to do it. So we, we kind of... Um, as physicians, we can dive down into their likes and dislikes and help them to make either better choices or to decrease the quantity that they're intaking. And I also focus on movement instead of exercise. So for example, not everyone has access to a gym, right? And not every neighborhood is safe to go for a long walk-in. So we talk about, okay, do you have a jump rope? If you're on the first floor, a jump rope is your friend. If you're on the top floor, no, don't jump rope. Uh, right. If you, you know, do you have a hula hoop? These are things that they can get at the 99 cent store. So we have to think outside the box. You're absolutely right, Dr. Herbert. So we can say to them, jump rope. We can say to them, um, dance in your room with your headphones on. No one can hear or see you, but move 30 minutes a day. That's it. Whether you're able to go out or go to the gym or just be alone in your room, just dance by yourself, jump rope, hula hoop, whatever it takes. Yeah. And those are all really good. I call them like alternative solutions, right? Because we do sometimes have to think outside the box when it comes to treating a a diverse population of patients. So these are some really, really great tips um, that I'm sure if parents that are listening as well as if there are, you know, physicians or clinicians that are listening who treat preteens and teens to sort of um, encourage them just to think outside the box. Because sometimes it can be frustrating when we're dealing with um, social determinants of health, right? When we're dealing with obstacles and challenges around people having access, but um, thinking outside the box, you know, giving these, um, tips that you gave, I think are, are very, very helpful. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. I, I love talking to teens and preteens. It's my thing. And now I've learned to talk to parents differently also. And I hope we all can, because, um, you know, we all have a voice in our, in the back of our head and it's our parents' voice. And imagine if your teen grows up with a really positive voice in their head, instead of that voice that says, don't do this, don't do that. Imagine the voice that they hear being, you're able, you're capable of doing this, you're healthy no matter what the numbers say, Um, you're able to walk five miles, that's amazing. Imagine that being the voice in the back of their heads. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So as you're, you know, continuing to help preteens and teens in their health journey, um, I want you to share with us, if you will, what do you do for self-care? Right. So as physicians, you know, we are obviously um, caregivers and we make sure that our patients are doing well and everyone else around us is doing well. Sometimes we tend to forget about ourselves. So what do you do for self-care? What does self-care look like for you? And Self-care for me um, involves, number one, you know, 
exercise or working out. I used to go to the gym, but since COVID, to be honest, I work out on my own at home um, and I don't need a lot of equipment, so it's all good. So I do take time for myself to work out at least four or five times a week. I also go on long walks with my family or by myself. I also really enjoy walks in nature by myself. It doesn't have to be a strenuous hike, but I do go out for walking. You know, just being amongst the trees helps me so much. Um, so for me, that's the most self-care. And I also like to give myself time to do nothing, um, whether it's Ooh, to meditate or to just I like do that. absolutely <laughs> nothing. You know, it doesn't involve my phone or my TV or anything. Just um, and, and, you know, those who love me know that when I say I need my knee time, then it's OK. Then for the next two or three hours, let her be. So setting boundaries like that and telling people what I need, I hope that the rest of the physicians out there have that opportunity to be honest with their spouses and with their families and say, look, I love you very much, but I do need me time every Sunday between six and eight or whatever time you need uh, to be alone. Yeah, I love that. And I think that number three is uh, resonates with me as well, because I am a person who definitely likes time to do nothing and to be alone. And sometimes that can be misconstrued as being like, you know, uh, not being social or just not wanting to communicate with people. Uh, so you really do have to explain that sometimes to the people around you, right, who are close to you to help to make them understand that the time alone is necessary so that you can be a better person for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are some great self, self-care self tips as well. Um, and I hope that the, the listeners will take heed to those things and begin to incorporate some of that in their own um, self-care routine. So I wanted to just kind of, as we wrap up, touch base with you and um, ask if you can share three tips with our listeners around going after your passion. Because I feel like in talking with you and you sharing your story, you identified something that was very passionate, that you were very passionate about, but also you identified a need as well within um, preteens and teens and sort of carved out that niche in your practice to be able to um, develop that. So what are three tips that you would give to women physicians who kind of may be struggling with maybe you know, their passion or what it is, what it is that they really want to do, or they're struggling with trying to find that lane, right, that they really want to sort of um, to be in? What, what three tips would you give them for trying to kind of sort that out? The first tip is to be patient with yourself. It's not always obvious immediately. It took me many years to find my niche. And I was doing just general pediatrics for many years. So number one, allow things to come into your life. And whatever lights you up, that's your passion. And sometimes it doesn't happen in the first two or three years of practice. It could take a long time. Um, so that's my first tip is please be patient. Wait for something to come that lights you up. If you find yourself in the room talking and being animated about a topic, that's your topic. That's what you enjoy doing with the patients. Um, that would be my first tip. My second tip, to be honest, would be to not give up on medicine. A lot of us feel burnt out. And um, so we say, oh, I wish I wasn't doing medicine. I wish I was, you know, selling hot dogs on the street. 
less responsibility. But the truth of the matter is um, find something that lights you up and then it will, you know, it will happen um, that you don't feel burnt out because you'll have the passion to keep going. Um, So that's tip number two is just don't give up. And tip number three is don't let naysayers put you down. So haters are going to hate. That's their job. Okay, so if you're out there on social media speaking about the topic that lights you up and you get negative comments, who cares? You know what? That's mm. their job. Let them hate. And you just listen to the, the voices that that put you up, right? As long as your message is on point, there will be people who want your message. So don't let haters stop you would be my third tip. Mm. Wow. I love those. I love all three of them. So I wanted, I'm wanted to just repeat them again, because I really want the listeners to hear um, these amazing, amazing pearls that you dropped. So the first one is to be patient with yourself, which I think as physicians, it's so hard for us to do that. And we have to learn to start to be patient with ourselves and not be so hard on ourselves, right? Um, as well. And just allow things to unfold, like you said, The second is to don't give up on medicine. And I think we can even take this as a whole separate topic and and talk about it on another podcast episode, because as we know, there are so many of us, unfortunately, um, leaving medicine or at at least even contemplating, uh, you know, about it. So I think it's important that we don't give up on ourselves. And then the third and last thing that you said was, um, was don't let the naysayers, um, or the haters, you know, affect um, your passion because haters are going to hate, which I love that as well. Um, and to not to not take it personal and to do to do what you love and do what you enjoy. So thank you again for sharing those. You're so welcome. It's been such a great conversation. It has. It has. And please feel free to come back at any time and be a guest again on our podcast. I loved talking with you and hearing your story, your passion for preteens and teens. And I look forward to seeing what you have um, to come in the future. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I hope to amplify my voice by speaking at more podcasts and more events so that more and more parents and clinicians use the right language with the kids. So that's my, that's now my new passion, mm-hmm. not just one-on-one, but big, big stages. Yes. Yes. And and I'm sure you're going to do a great job. So thank you again for being a guest here on the Women Physicians Lead podcast. And for those of you who want to hear more about Dr. Pollock's work, if you want to follow her, um, you can find her in two places. Our website, which is progressivepediatrics.com. That's progressivepediatrics.com. And you can also follow her on LinkedIn um, at the Wellness Center at Progressive Pediatrics. That's the Wellness Center at Progressive Pediatrics on um, LinkedIn. And I'll have the links to those in the show notes as well. So thank you again, Dr. Pollock. It has been a pleasure and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. What a great interview. Thank you very much, Dr. Herbert. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www 
www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time, take care. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.